Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you have brought us together in this place at this time. Lord, thank you for your word to us in Genesis. Thank you, Lord, uh, that we are an imperfect people that have been bought by your blood, that you give us grace even when we don't deserve it. Father, I ask that this text would speak to each and every one of us, that uh, we would see ourselves in Jacob and see you in fullness. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is as low church as I get. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, it was funny. Uh, we, we have uh, some of you know that at, over at Lakewood Anglican we have a refugee um, from Pakistan, and uh, he uh, came in one Sunday. And in the summertime, uh, I go with the uh, the low church look because it's cooler, and we don't have air conditioning over at Lakewood. And uh, he said, "Yes, this is how an Anglican minister should look." And I said, "Okay, <laughs> we can do that part of the year." Um, it seems appropriate uh, today, particularly, uh, I don't know if you guys know, the reason we wear these is that we, um, this is the full version of the collar, we actually preach the full countenance of Scripture, both the fullness of the Old and the New Testaments. And this is uh, a symbolic reminder of that to us. And it goes well with today because we're looking at uh, Genesis. You know, it's always hard to come midstream into a series. Um, but Gene gave me an easy one for a change to come into the middle of. Uh, and so we're looking here uh, at the story of Jacob, and uh, we're seeing in Jacob ourselves, and we're seeing God um, in the image, the dream that he gets. So we're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to look, number one, um, at the words that are used in this text. Number two, we're going to look at the image that's in this text. And number three, we're going to look at our Lord's interpretation of this text, because this is one of those rare texts where Jesus speaks to it directly, and almost gives us the answer. Well, he does give us the answer. Um, So if you have your Bibles with you, Open up to Genesis, chapter 27 and 28. If you have your Bibles, it's going to be helpful, uh, because I'm not going to stay in the parameters of what's on the bulletin. So, um, if you don't, I'll try to make it so you can follow along. I remember the day well uh, when I was in college. I came back from class, and my roommate Nick was there, and uh, we uh, were talking for a while, and he he said to me, you mean you've never heard Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven? (laughs) And uh, this was 2001 in the fall, and so I was about 30 years late to the game. Um, I understand it came out a bit earlier. Uh, And uh, and I, I said, no, I've never heard it. And so he put it on, and you know, that, that opening riff starts, and, and it went on and on and on. It was a great song, but it, but it, it just kept going on. Uh, in some ways, today's passage is like that. I hope the sermon's not. Um, because the uh, passage 
covers a whole lot. So we're not going to cover everything. We're just going to kind of gloss over some things at the beginning. But suffice it to say, um, we're looking at a dysfunctional family here, aren't we? Uh, we picked up last week, uh, I listened to Gene's sermon, and uh, he was talking about blessing and talking about what that meant in the Old Testament. And here we see this idea of patriarchal blessing being really important. Uh, why is that? Well, because in this era, um, being called was to be was to, to a calling to the entire household. So this, patri this uh, patriarchal blessing was a blessing of the family through the father, usually the firstborn. And of course, uh, Gene talked about this last week, the, the idea that um, um, Jacob sneakily puts on these animal skins, right? And he goes in before Isaac, his father, and he pretends to be Esau, who's the firstborn. And... Um, he takes his blessing. He takes his blessing. And we also heard last week that, that whereas Jacob takes the blessing by deceit, we, as those that found in Christ, are given the firstborn blessing by grace. And we're going to see that time and time again uh, in this sermon and in this series. So look with me at uh, Genesis chapter 27 verse 41. I think that helps set up today's scripture passage. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother Jacob. Stop right there for a minute. All right, again, the height of dysfunction, right? <laughs> you have a father favoring one son, a mother favoring another son, the conflict between the sons to the fact of, you know, this, this enduring legacy going all the way back to Cain and Abel, a fratricide, right? Esau wants to kill Jacob for stealing this birthright. We continue on. The dysfunction goes further. Verse 42 but the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. That's the mother, for those of you that might not have been here last week. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise and flee to Laban, to my brother in Haran. And stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away. But look at verse 46. Again, this is the verse right before our um, chapter starts here. Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? So do you see Rebecca herself is scheming and being deceitful here? She doesn't want Jacob to marry one of the local girls. So she sends him away, sends him away to her family. Um, the trek from Beersheba, where they are uh, to Haran, 
is uh, in modern-day Turkey. It's about 550 miles. So this is no short journey in the ancient world. And Jacob goes out into the desert, and look with me at verse 11 and 12. Here we're, we're in the, the passage, so if you, you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along now on the back of the bulletin. Verse 11 and 12, chapter 28. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. Let's stop right there first. You know, even today in the Middle East, hospitality is one of the most important things in that culture. Why, you have to ask yourself, why is Jacob sitting down in the middle of nowhere putting rocks around his head? He's in the desert Right? There's nobody around. There's no friend, no one to take him in, no one to protect him. So that's the setting of what's going on here. But second of all, um, the English is actually a little bit misleading here. If you dig into the Hebrew, uh, the traditional um, translation says that he uses a, a pillow, a rock for a pillow. That's actually not what's going on. Um, the rocks uh, were used to create a fence around your head. Okay, so picture he's laying down and he's put rocks up around his head on the ground, right, as he lays down. Why might one do that? Bingo, to protect himself. Yeah, to protect himself. He's in the middle of nowhere, okay? So he's in the middle of nowhere and he's protecting himself. That's important. We're going to come back to it. Verse 12, and he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it, and behold, the Lord stood above it. And we'll stop there for a minute. So here's the image, right? There's this ladder, this stairway to heaven, if you will, right, that he sees in his dream, and the Hebrew here is the word sulam, sulam. And it actually means in this ancient uh, context more than just a ladder or a stairway. It's got a whole idea baked into it. Okay, you know, you we ran across this in Hebrew. Um, sulam is a technical word for a ziggurat, a ziggurat. I know I'm getting deep in here. But uh, think about this. Does, has anyone, has, well, first of all, does anyone know what a ziggurat is? I had somebody at the other, yeah, Margaret, do you? It's like a pyramid with steps on it, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, if you go down, maybe you've been to the Caribbean, you've seen the Mayan ruins, right? You've seen that those pyramids with steps all on them. Uh, the same thing uh, actually was re really common back in um, this time in Babylon in the Middle East. Um, and... It's this idea that is baked into this Hebrew word for stairway or ladder. So your Bible might have like a footnote next to the word ladder or stairway. That's why. Because to the Hebrew mindset, this would have invoked this idea of a stairway to heaven. Now, bear with me here. We're doing the hard digging in Scripture. 
but I'm trying to, to get you to see what Jacob sees. What stairway to heaven has happened in Genesis so far? An attempted one, at least. The Table of Babel, right? Right? What was that? Come, let us make a stairway up to heaven, to the gods. Except in that case, the stairway was built by men trying to go up to God. And in this case, we see something else. We see God creating a stairway down to the earth. Notice what's going on on the stairway. God's standing at the top. He's looking down, addressing and blessing. And notice who's going up and down the stairway. Yeah, the angels, right. So you guys are coming alive. All right. The, the angels, right? The angels. Why are the angels going up and down the stairway? Are they just doing that because they, like, you know, they like the workout? You know, they're doing the steps? Or? No, no. The angels are going up and down because the angels, Psalm 103 tells us, are the mighty ones that do God's bidding. Right? We see here the veil parted for Jacob and he's able to see God's desire to be with man. We see here God's making a way to be with man. The stairway is not to heaven. Rather, it's the stairway from heaven to earth. Now, there's the image. Notice the words. Look with me at verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and the east and to the north and to the south. And in, all, and in you, your offspring, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So here's the blessing. Now, this would have sent up flags for the Hebrews because they've heard this before. Again, I'm testing your Genesis knowledge. Where in Genesis does God first talk about multiplying? Genesis 12, he does there. He does even before that, though. Actually, in Genesis 1.28, he talks to Adam and Eve, right? And he, and he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Right? And then you're right, Genesis 12, in covenant with Abraham, the other patriarch, God is here just repeating what he said to Abraham to Jacob. So do you see what God's doing here is he's, 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 talk, he's, um, he's confirming the blessing that Isaac gives to Jacob, despite the fact that Jacob's an, uh, I say a screw up, <laughs> despite the fact that, that Jacob is a deceiver. Despite the fact that Jacob came by it by dishonest means, right? God applies the blessing to Jacob. In fact, he uses these very words in Genesis 13. God says this to Abram at the time. He's, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from place to place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land that you see I will give you and, and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, 
so that one can count the dust, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Do you see the parallels here in the words? But there's more, right? You see how God's renewing his covenant, but he also promises in verse 15, now back in our reading, Genesis 28, verse 15, he promises a divine companionship to Jacob. Behold, he says, this is God speaking, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. You know, one of the things you can do in Bible study, even if you don't have any you know, commentaries or resources to look at, one of the ways that you can dig into Scripture yourself is when you crack open your Bible and you look at a passage like this and God's speaking, you can underline the verbs. And just underlining the verbs tells you a heck of a lot. What's going on here? What's God saying? Look at that. This is verse 15 again. Behold, God says, I am with you and will keep you whenever, wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Do you see that? So this is a divine companionship that God is promising. Even here in the middle of nowhere, even here in the middle of the desert, on his way, God is saying, I'm with you in this. There might not be anybody else to take you in, but I'm here. God's with Jacob, despite his dysfunction. God's with Jacob, despite his being in the middle of nowhere. God hasn't lost sight of his promise to Jacob or to his family. And in fact, God promises to keep him, to protect him. Gordon Wendham calls this a divine companionship between God and Jacob. But let's return back to the image now. Let's look at the stairway to heaven, or as we've already said, the stairway from heaven. There's another thing to understand, and that this stairway is from heaven, and it's God's initiative. You see, the Hebrew people seeing or heard this would have realized that this was God doing something for Jacob and his offspring. Jacob and his offspring would be blessed, and all the nations of the world would be blessed. Now, look at John, the Gospel of John. Jesus actually references this passage directly. You know what verse it is? Did you catch it? Yeah. It's the very last verse of the Gospel passage. John chapter 1. I'm going to start back with Verse 50. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, there's two ways to read this, right? You could read this as angels going up and down, coming up and down to the Son of Man. Or you can read this as it's literally written. Angels ascending and descending 
I'm the Son of Man. Who is Jacob's ladder? It's a person. It's Jesus Christ. How do I know this? Because Jesus tells us. He tells Nathaniel here. But later on in John, he writes, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. You see, it's a person. Jesus is clear the fact that he is the stairway to heaven because he was the stairway from heaven that descended to earth. But let's get back to Jacob for a minute. Does Jacob get it? You might think he does, but he doesn't. <laughs> Look with me at the end of, the, at the end of uh, today's reading. Jacob has this wonderful dream, right? And he wakes up, verse 18 of chapter 28. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on it, on top of it. He called the name of the place Bethel, but the city, the name of the city was Luz at the first. Stop there for a minute. Seems like Jacob's going down the right track, right? He's seen this incredible vision. He's heard these incredible words. He wakes up. He says, the Lord is in this place. This is great. And he takes the rock and he makes a pillar. The rocks that were around his head, mind you, right? And he makes a pillar and he pours oil on it. And he says, this is a good thing because God's with us. Okay, so, so far, so good it seems. But look what happens next. Verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in the way I go and give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I've set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all of you give me, all that you give me, I will give you a full tenth. Sorry, I will give a full tenth to you. He's talking to God. What's going on here? Keep in mind, yeah, conditions. Here we see the deceiver once again. He's like, hey, this worked with Isaac. I'm going to try it with God. <laughs> Do you see? Do you see what's going on? And it's not just in his words, but it's actually in what he does. You know, oftentimes actions speak louder than words, as the old adage goes. He's taking the stones that he put around his head for his own protection, and he's making that the monument to God. What's that symbolically saying? God, you're not my protector. I'm my protector. And here, to your glory, it seems, but ultimately he's looking at his own efforts of self-protection when God has already promised to protect him. God's always promised to keep him. And, and even better, he's like, you know, I'll sweeten the pot. I'll give you 10%. I mean, this is ridiculous. But before we get too hard on Jacob, look at ourselves. Are you conditional with God? Do you set if-then statements? You might not be so blatant as to say it, but I know you do, because I know I do, <laughs> right? Lord, if you do this, then, you know, I'll say some extra prayers. 
You know, I, I, I'm always tempted, you know, Sundays that have really high attendance, it's like, oh yeah, that's when I give thanksgiving, right? What is that? That's a conditional statement. That's an if-then statement, right? Lord, you've given me this, so I'm going to worship you more today. Or, you know, Lord, if you heal me, then I'll glorify you, right? That's not the point, right? This is a grace given freely, a stairway from heaven to earth, not anything we build or anything we construct or anything that we do in order to attain God's favor. It's something God's done for us. So don't be like Jacob. Don't miss the whole point. Now, Jacob's going to go on and continue to be dysfunctional. And you know what? God's going to continue to bless him. And that's hopeful for all of us. (laughs) But friends, don't live looking at the eternal. Live the eternal. Do you see the difference? Jacob is living just looking at the eternal. God is far away. God is there at the end of the staircase. You know, we all functionally do this. Whenever we choose sin, we do this. We think to ourselves, the eternal's way out there. I'm right here right now, so I want to do this because this is going to make me happy. But rather, we should be living into the eternal. We should be looking as Christians, not as eternity as something we're going to come to after we die, but as something that is begun in us as the kingdom of God. Because St. Peter writes this in his epistle. He says, the word, the living words implanted in you, in the Holy Spirit, in me, with the Holy Spirit. The living word is in us. We're part of the kingdom now, right? So, you know, don't be like Jacob and think to yourself, boy, I'll bring out the big gun of God when I need him because I'm facing something real hard or perish the thought at the end of my life as I'm on my deathbed because now I really need him. That's looking at the eternal. Living in the eternal says, Lord, what would you have me do today, at this moment, at this time? How would you lead me here? Where is your Holy Spirit acting now? Not in a distant way or in a conditional way or in an if-then way. God has promised to keep you. You're on the ladder. You know the old song, we're climbing Jacob's ladder? You ever heard the old spiritual? That never made sense to me before. Actually, before I was doing sermon prep this week. It makes sense. You're climbing Jacob's ladder. Why? Because you're on Jesus. You're on Jesus. And he's in you. He's promised to guard you. He's promised to bring you all, to all that he's promised. If you're in Jesus, you're not looking at eternity. You're already part of it. Being in him and having him in you has made you more eternal than anything around you. Walk in him. Witness the kingdom of heaven at work. Grow in him. I want to share with you a little bit um, about what's going on at Lakewood Anglican. Jean asked me to update you. Um, last week in the lectionary, we were reading about um, the parable of the grower and the mustard seed. And the main theme of that uh, verse is that God's the grower. <laughs> You're not. I'm not. 
You know, we work hard, yes, but God causes growth. Um, and I have to say that uh, at, I've seen that, witness, I've witnessed that time and time again at Lakewood. I, we, we're growing uh, 23%, actually, uh, when you break down the numbers. You know what they call Lakewood? The graveyard for churches. The graveyard for churches. Because so many churches go in there and die. So many churches that are there have all but died, right? Um, we're bucking that trend. 23%. We've grown 20% every year since we've been a mission. Praise God. Praise God. Um, we're actually celebrating an anniversary um, here this month, uh, the 24th, uh, 2013. Lakewood Anglican Mission started in my living room on Granger Avenue with 11 people. And I looked at the rolls, and we've got 90 people on the rolls now. Average Sunday attendance of 60. So much for the graveyard of churches. Right? Praise God. It's all his work. And it's not just the numbers that we see it going on. There's all sorts of things going on in ministry, too. There's people starting Bible studies. There's people studying, uh, have, hosting fire pits. There's people opening their homes just to, to have people over and, and, and pray. One of the coolest things that we do is we... Uh, we all pray together at, at eight, 8 o'clock at night. We set our phones because we can't all be in the same place. So we set our phones and your phone alarm goes off. And, and uh, it's fun as the priest. I go around and I'm at people's houses and it happens and they, they just start praying for the church. Praise God. That's growth. That's growth. Um, Sonny Akhtar, who you've been praying for for a long time now, years, right? The, the refugee um, from Pakistan that's part of our congregation. Um, he called me yesterday and said that uh, his wife and daughter were called to the U.S. Embassy uh, in Pakistan and uh, told to start the process of making ready to come here to the United States. Yay. So that's, that's wonderful. You know, these, these, these little, these things, there's been healings in the congregation. I could go on and on. There's all sorts of things going on in the congregation. It's all God's growth. It's all because we're living into uh, eternity. Yeah. So I'm happy to talk to you any more about uh, Lakewood Anglican Mission if you want to after the service. Um, but thank you. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for the fact that, you know, you've committed to us. We couldn't be doing this without you. We really couldn't. So, you know, it's a wonderful testimony to God being the grower and being faithful in his promises when we adhere to his word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for all of your good gifts. We thank you, Lord, that you are gracious to us, pouring grace upon grace on us when we don't deserve it. We ask that you would help us to see your work better. We ask that we would help see ourselves better as a part of that kingdom. Lord, let us never forget that when there was no way, you provided that way. We praise you, Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.